Hey everyone, welcome to episode 135 of the End Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me, as always, is Andrew Brown. We have to save Grogu! <laughs> and Tori Wassana. Next week on. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like I should start adding something funny. Uh, uh, I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> that will make sense later in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we've got a, I was going to say a pack show, but it's probably pretty standard. Uh, we've got some uh, minor updates from previous episodes, and we're going to talk about Empire of Sin, Fire Emblem, Shadow Dragon, and the Blade of Light. That's one game, not three, I promise. Uh, and we're also going to talk about Immortals, Phoenix Rising. Uh, so with that, let's get on with those uh, updates. <laughs> Okay, just the one update this week, uh, that is that uh, Borderlands 2 has finally been patched, so the Commander Lilith DLC now works. Uh, I saw Andrew celebrating this on Twitter earlier in the week. Happy? Oh, I'm very happy, because uh, I, I was concerned I was going to have to start from scratch after I already put 80 hours into playing through the game with one character. <laughs> <laughs> but no, thankfully we don't have to do that, although very coincidentally the day that they got it patched and everything to start working again was the day that the DLC was no longer free. thought that was... Hmm. That was an interesting coincidence, but it, it probably... Raises was, eyebrow. It probably was just a coincidence, but still. <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted it um, for free, that window's now closed. You gotta pay, I think it's 15 bucks for it. Uh, other updates? Uh, just... Broadly speaking, just because I said updates from previous episodes, not update, uh, I maxed out another character in Diablo 3, uh, my Crusader, who uh, is pretty badass. Uh, so like we said last time, once you get the Divine, uh, sorry, Blessed Hammer, uh, that that class becomes really easy. And I you know, kept going up the difficulty levels until it, it felt just about right and uh, maxed, maxed her out pretty quickly. Uh, so I started a, a Demon Hunter. As my next one, already up to level 15, uh, and I'll pick that back up after I finish Fire Emblem, I think. So, yeah, digging uh, Diablo 3 again, uh, it's become a bit of, a, bit of an obsession. So, uh, with that, uh, let's move on to the latest Switch news. Okay, just the one bit of news this week, and that is that the Switch had a fairly significant OS update. Primarily, the benefits are about moving your media in terms of pictures and movies, off the Switch. Uh, so you no, no longer need to post them to social media to download and then delete the tweet. You can actually plug a computer in via USB and transfer them that way. Or you can do a really clunky, convoluted way using a QR code to get it on your phone, which uses a website and not the Nintendo online app, which seems weird uh tori i think you've been experimenting with this even nintendo doesn't care about the nintendo online app (laughs) (laughs) it's really frustrating because xbox does this perfectly um it uploads your captures to the cloud and you can see them in your app Um, people still complain though because you can't get it on a usb drive uh which i think is fair because uh you know some people don't have one drive and that is a pain yeah I don't think this is the perfect solution for anybody yet. Um, that QR code system is very finicky um, because it's basically connecting to an ad hoc Wi-Fi network that your Switch 
starts. Um, so if you have a phone like mine, that's trying to be super helpful and going, well, there's no internet on this Wi-Fi connection. I'll just default to mobile data. <laughs> it won't find the switch. So you have to turn off mobile data and you have to do that every time. Um, Jesus. yeah, I found that the best solution is to just plug it into the PC because the other thing with using the website is that you have to manually open up each individual image and save them individually as well. Mm. Yeah, whereas you connect it to the computer, you go into settings, there's like a sort of turn on data mode setting in, um, I think it's under data management. And it basically just sees your, um, your switch as a camera. You just oh, drag, okay. drag and copy files right off the switch that way so no more taking the sd card out when you get a new switch as well i which is a huge huge thing for me at least because i've lost so many captures um transferring from like whenever i get a new micro sd card and um, for some reason the copy will just corrupt so i lose everything on it including captures tedious um this is a lot better and, th- and that's keeping in mind that this is a Nintendo solution, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other, one of the other new things I thought was pretty cool was the trending with friends feature. Yeah. Uh, so if you, if you go into your, your profile page, you can see a list of your friends and the games, what they're playing. Um, sorry, it's the other way around. You can see the games that people are playing and which friends you have that are playing them. So uh, I'm looking at one right now. Uh, Andrew's been playing Hyrule Warriors, uh, Civilization. Uh, a lot of people have been playing Animal Crossing, uh, and so forth. Uh, I think that's pretty cool uh, and a good way to, you know, keep an eye on the uh, Zeitgeist games on Switch because uh, those will quickly climb up the ranks. I think. And more of you need to be playing Breath of the Wild. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I only had one person in my trending who was playing it. I was very disappointed in all of you. As I've been saying, planning on going back to that over the holiday period. Um, the Nintendo Switch Online icon caused a lot of people to complain because reasons. I thought the only reason I saw was colour. Yeah, the colour is the main reason. If you're going to complain, complain that the icon is slightly off-centre, I guess. <laughs> it's ever so slightly off-centre. Um, also, when I first got the update, it seemed really low pixels. Like the circle wasn't perfect as the other icons were. It was like really blocky around the edges. Um, it didn't seem a big problem on my 4K TV, oddly, which is where I would have thought that would be more prevalent. But uh, yeah, in the in my office TV, uh, it was uh, yeah a bit blocky, which I, I thought that didn't have the the usual sensor quality that you know the presentation usually has. So that, I found that a bit disappointing, but not enough that I'd go onto the internet to complain heartily about it. Um, the hub itself is quite uh, interesting, though. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a catalogue of all the NES and Super Nintendo games that have come out, but I like that it kind of has this completely useless but neat feature where it tells you what games came out on in your birth month. <laughs> and it would be like, this came out when you were four years old. Or this came out two years before you were born. Completely useless. It's just a nice little thing. Yeah, that's a bit weird. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> uh, but you can see your save data yes. as well that's in the cloud. That That's interesting. There is one more feature that I really like involving cloud saves. Oh, yeah? Auto-download. 
Yes, of course. Self-managing. So I switch between my big switch and my light quite a lot, so I'm, I'm manually moving saves up and down and overriding old ones on on the device it's going to and that you know i i don't care how smoothly it's gone i always have that panic that it's going to crap out once <laughs> well and like the beginning yeah. of the year when i had to send my switch in to get repaired and i got it back and it had been reformatted so i had to re-download all of my save data from the cloud for every single game i own that took several hours <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. yeah but uh, it, it's a very good feature that um I think it was an Xbox feature, but it's a lot more useful for a portable console if you've got multiple. Yeah, uh, the the Xbox is the one that's nailed cloud saves more than anything else. Um, like it's just seamless. If you get rid of your console, you never have to worry about uh, you know backing up your data or anything. You just get your your new Xbox and it moves across. Um, and a lot of games now will actually carry your save across between PC and the console version, which is yes. really cool. So that they they've really got that that nailed and, and this is a, a definite step in, in that sort of direction. So yeah, I think that's about it for the uh, the update. Um pretty decent one on the whole, despite the, the weirdness with the uh getting images on your phone, let us just connect it via Wi Fi. It's not hard. Uh or put it into the switch online app, you know. Let's make it useful for a change. Yeah. Um yeah, so with that, let's move on to the things we've been playing. Okay, first thing we're going to cover is uh, Fire Emblem, Shadow Dragon, and the Blade of Light. So this is basically the original Fire Emblem uh, back on the Famicom, never got a Western release, finally does. Uh, so it's basically just Fire Emblem as we know it now, but with a lot of the the modern stuff and the inappropriate romantic relationships removed, it's just a set of you know levels to battle through. The first thing I thought was I it looks good for a NES game. The uh, the artwork is you know it's anime styled, so that helps. But uh, like the character portraits and everything, I thought all oh, that looked awesome. I'm not sure if they've been revamped at all. Since, since the original, so. and uh, despite it never telling you this, it has a lot of the hallmarks of uh, Fire Emblem now. So you can hide in trees to increase your cover, uh, and sort of fortify yourself in buildings. Uh, I, I had not thought any of that would carry across. I thought it was just going to be a very, very simple chess-styled game. I thought it was going to be very stripped back. So I was, I was very surprised that stuff was in. Um, Permadeath is on. By default in this you have no option uh, of course nowadays you do uh, but I think that's balanced out by there's uh, you know lots of characters you can collect uh, along the way um, and the biggest thing for me is that uh, the combat's pretty challenging because it doesn't have the traditional uh, weapon wheel and there's no attack preview so you have no idea how your attacks might fare against each enemy or if there is a pattern I haven't yet figured that out um my own the only thing i have picked up on is leave your archer and uh pegasus knight well away until you you're ready to clean up <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean it is what it is it's a nez fire emblem uh i i think it's a lot better than i was expecting um 
I'm I'm sort of I'm on the fourth map now, partway through that, and uh, I'm enjoying it a lot as a you know as a Fire Emblem tactical RPG. Uh, some of the things that I recommend everybody does if they get this is to set fast forward settings to times two for both attack and defense, which helps speed up the game a lot because you know being a NES game it has some clunkiness around you know character selections and the actions it performs and uh, yeah don't forget you can rewind your turn at any point that's a new feature added in to this version oh yeah yeah you'll need uh, it yeah definitely need it um, they're about the only tips I've got so far other than don't die <laughs> it's also fascinating kind of revisiting the first one to see what exactly how how the series has kind of changed from the first one to a modern one mm-hmm. there aren't even like any grid notifications to tell you how far your troops can move nope or whether you're in range of the enemy like that that's a total crapshoot yeah it's it's very rudimentary in it it, it basically just feels like playing like if warhammer were an nes game <laughs> which it's not a complaint it's it's just more of a because it's a game of the time yeah so, it, it it's going to be a curio for a lot of people um yeah don't don't play this because you're like oh i love fire emblem it's a new one no <laughs> this is like if you're interested in you know game design history and series history and and maybe you really do just want a challenge because mm-hmm. um, they make a big deal about this being an english translation but the story is pretty simple as well from what i recall Mm-hmm. And there's there's no character interactions, which seems to be like the bigger draw of a Fire Emblem game. There are characters, but that that's what it's become known for now. Yeah. Um, now, uh, the thing I was going to ask: uh, How many levels are you in, Tori? <laughs> One. <laughs> uh, Andrew, uh, I'm on the third level. Okay, I've just beat the third level. So so far, uh, every level has been get from one side of the map to the castle on the other side i was just wondering if there's any variation on that or whether that stays the consistent theme all the way through i really doubt it <laughs> uh how are you finding it andrew uh, it's pretty much what i expected uh like, i knew it was a really rudimentary fire emblem experience like it doesn't have a lot of things I think people just assume is what Fire Emblem is. Like, it doesn't have the weapon triangle. <laughs> Did you notice that? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think much of it so far, but I also wasn't expecting much, so I'm not mm-hmm. disappointed. Uh, and knowing you recently picked up uh, Three Houses, finally, uh, that'll, that'll be one hell of a transition <laughs> for you. <laughs> well, I have played... Path of Radiance too, so I, I kind of know the oh. series a little bit, <laughs> just not not the ones that everybody loves on 3DS. <laughs> yeah, Awakenings is is a perfect game. Mm. Uh, it was it was funny with that uh, with that game with the whole uh, marriage to get new units thing. You know, obviously they do the things that adults in love do, and that produces an offspring you can use because of time travel. Well, slow down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, like, I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, you didn't know that was a thing? Where did you think you came from? (laughs) No. The stork. (laughs) Uh, Divine beings are just brought into existence. 
can I say? Um, no, the uh, I told you, you game, came into the... existence fully formed in the year 2010. It's the only explanation for all the things you've never seen or played. <laughs> <laughs> I am a product of my environment. I'll have you know. The desert wastes of Australia. The... the, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, no, just the horrific north of England. Um... Potato, potato. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So the mechanic uh, from that game, where you you know you get your characters to hook up, and then they have offspring that can join your party. Like I knew that was a mechanic. I thought it was something that would be done in a tutorial or would come up as part of the story. And I got through like three quarters of the game without triggering it. And I was like asking on the internet, like, "Hey, where's this mechanic?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, you need to get your people to fight together more often." Yeah. <laughs> like, uh oh. <laughs> that War, was the. It's... It's the Fire Emblem aphrodisiac. Yeah. That was the problem I ran into in Path of Radiance was, like, I, I understood that, that I needed to, like, get people to fight while they were standing next to each other, and I had to do the support conversations in the fortress between battles, but since I couldn't do all of them in one playthrough, I just got mad and didn't do any of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know... It's like what five bucks American, nine dollars Australian. I, th- I think it's a worthy price for a slice of history, even if if you're not going to see it through. Um, I was surprised at how much. Like I haven't played Advance Wars. Uh, I tried uh, War Groove, which is the same game, but wasn't really my my jam because mm. I I like a lot of the the RPG stuff that Fire Emblem has. Um, it it kind of it sort of felt more like uh intelligent systems earlier stuff uh well i mean it's 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 their earliest stuff but you know what i mean uh it it sort of feels more in line with advanced wars than it does with modern fire yeah and the leveling up in this one is very 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 slow uh it's usually Mm. pretty quick in the modern game so uh, Mm. i think that's going to have a very minimal impact i always Um, did like how fire emblem gave you xp even if a fight hadn't resolved mm -hmm. just like you get a hit you get a couple of points. Mm-hmm. It's good. Hmm. Well, again, the most recent one that I have played is Path of Radiance, and it felt exactly right to me. It's like, oh, if I just do a fight, I get nine experience points. If my character kills the other enemy in a fight, they get, like, 24 experience. And that seemed, like, about <laughs> right. That's about what I'm used to. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I feel like the more, the more modern ones are a bit more generous with, with the XP. But, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think it's worth it for the price. Uh, worth a look uh, at Price of History. Uh, it is what it is. It's a nice turn-based strategy game. Uh, <laughs> and next it, time, it, I can talk about the actual collector's box and everything that didn't yes. ship until release day. <laughs> yeah, you double-dipped, didn't you, because of peer pressure? Yeah, you just said, well, you can. It's only nine bucks. And I went, damn, it is only nine bucks. <laughs> 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 uh, apparently, the art book goes into the lore of the world a bit more so i'm really interested in that ah so it's the uh rise of skywalker approach to storytelling (laughs) it's not as bad as destiny though (laughs) hey you know all these important plot points that are just weird and confusing yeah we explain them in other media yeah you gotta gotta kill 200 of them then you gotta scan the qr code on the screen that'll take you to the website that explains what the heck's going on here it's perfectly reasonable (laughs) And Destiny was an industry-changing game. Are we getting off topic? We are. Yeah, just a bit. Uh, it's a silly episode. It's close to Christmas. 
Oh yeah, it's the silly season. Give us a break. We do this for free. What do you expect? <laughs> yeah, we've got to have fun with it. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. I know I'd go so we'll move on to something a bit more gangstery, but still turn-based, mostly, kind of. <laughs> uh, I'm talking, of course, about Empire of Sin. Uh, this is the gangster management sim from uh, Romero Games. Uh, so part of the reason I was really excited for this game is because, although I've never been much of a PC gamer till recently, uh, when I had a crappy PC from Gateway years ago, there was a range of, uh, a, was it a, a label of games that I could buy for £5, and I, I'd know it would always work. Like, everything else was a total lottery, uh, and this was the sold-out range, and, that, and basically it was just really old games that sold well that they sell at a discount price years later. So uh, there was a game, a series of games, actually, that I picked up on the sold-out range called Gangsters, organized crime uh, and I sunk hours into those uh, thinking myself a uh, little Al Capone and uh, yeah so uh, this uh, game sort of rekindled those memories so that, that was part of the reason I was really excited and ironically you can play as Al Capone as I chose to do so we'll we'll get into that so uh, Tori you haven't played this have you? No not at all. Okay, okay so uh, Andrew, first thing uh, I discovered when I booted this up is that this is not entirely the game that I thought it was, but is also many different games. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was... Uh, I was expecting it just to be more of a drier, um, like, management sim, but with, you know, a, a gangster, gangster skin over the top of it. Um, I wasn't expecting it to have me down at street level running around... You know, quasi open worlds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can wander around the the neighborhood. I wasn't expecting it to feel a lot like civilization with guns. <laughs> yeah, so much like civilization. Uh, so yeah, so you when you start, you you pick a gangster. Uh, I think most of them, if not all, are, are famous names from uh, organized crime history. Uh, I think the caveat to that is that they, you know, none of these people were actually in Chicago or trying to take over Chicago actually I think El Capone was in Chicago I'll take that back um, most of them weren't around Chicago but they were like famous in their own countries or in their own uh, regions and you know it kind of makes sense because this uh, game is about an out of towner uh, mob boss moving in to try and take over a new area uh, so th- when you pick your your character it really is a character they, they've got their own set of missions, their own way of doing things, they come with their own skills. Uh, now, I, I agonised over picking my character a lot before I went for what is probably the most obvious choice of Al Capone. Uh, Andrew, who did you pick? I picked a woman named Stephanie Sinclair, who I, I'm pretty sure was a real person. I, I should have looked this up before we recorded. Uh, but she uh, is a Haitian immigrant, and so she has a, a French background and she has a very heavy French accent and uh, as I pronounced her name her name is Saint Clair not Saint Clair and she was <laughs> a mob boss in Harlem I think uh, that's what my backstory in the game has explained and 
now in mm-hmm. the context of the game she's come to chicago to try her luck here so i appreciated those details <laughs> yeah uh, and that personality comes along in the form of like the sit downs or the, the chats you have with people so the first thing it does is it asks you if you want to do the tutorial you're in a taxi fresh from your flight into chicago uh, and he'll ask you some questions to sort of uh, figure out the way you want to be and, uh, you know, whether you want to get training on everything. Um, and then that, that sort of gives you a taster for the sort of uh, meetings you'll have in the game. So in the, the opening quest, it, it forces you basically to overthrow one of the local minor bosses um, and start taking over rackets in, in that guy's area. Now, so each character has their own wants and, you know, little story missions. Every goon you hire will have their own missions too. Um, And you've got to be careful about who you hire because they might have problems with other people or something they do might cause problems with with other bosses. And uh, this is where where all the the really, you know, the the petty gangster stuff (laughs) shakes down. Yeah, because it, um, it's not just a management sim; it's also a relationship sim. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. if one of your minions oh, nice. is, yeah. if one of your minions or one of your employees is in love with an employee of a rival gang boss, that might make some problems for you later, one way or another. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, so uh, when you actually hire goons, you can have them just follow you around or wait in some of your businesses. Um, I've I've just had them all following me at this point. Um, I don't know if there's a cap. Uh, I imagine there is, but uh, yeah, they uh, they just sort of follow you around on the map, like really aimlessly, uh, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, I I had completely underestimated how much of this was played at ground level. Um, so you can walk around the uh, the neighborhoods. It's a good point here to mention that it you know how it runs. Um, it I can almost say with one hundred percent certainty that it runs a lot better on PC or other formats. <laughs> um, it runs it runs well enough. On Switch, I find, like, you know, you're walking around, there's there's pedestrians and police and rival gangs, you know, sauntering around the streets, there's cars zipping in and out. I'd say it's probably, uh, you know, sub uh, 30 frames per second Mm. at at, at some points, but it's nothing that, you know, is screaming at me or stabbing me in the eyes. Yeah, but looking at what the game is and everything it does, like, especially since you can pull the game out, in real time to view mm-hmm. the entire world running at once, which is pretty cool. Yep. Um, obviously, it looks the worst and it runs the worst probably of any version of the game out there, and yet I was still impressed at how well it ran on the Switch. Uh, mm-hmm. if that's a bit of a cognitive dissonance there, but that was how I felt. Yeah, the, the visual design as well is really strong, like the colors and the, the, the reflections and the atmosphere. Like when it rains, it looks really cool. Uh, especially at night when you've got the the street lights and the the building lights and uh, yeah, I was I was surprised that didn't you know cause it to charge or whatever. But also all of that's you know pretty irrelevant because you play barely any of it in real time, any of the meaningful stuff anyway. As you do missions, so you can you can trigger combat at any time. That that's a cool thing. So you could uh, if you want to start trouble with a rival boss, you can you know wander into their area and just gun down a bunch of their people. Uh, just to mess with them um you uh in the early portion of the game you're just sort of moving into uh thug ran uh that buildings and 
in your immediate area to try and build up your your list of rackets. Thugs are basically um, barbarian camps in civilization. Yeah, they're they're not attached to any family or anything, uh, and they're just you know you're just free to go in and, and murder them. They uh, so you can go into the building that starts off the XCOM style combat. Um, which is the one area where I've got most of my concerns with this game. So I'm uh, just for clarity, I'm playing it on you know normal difficulty. Um, you, did you bump it up, Andrew? No, I'm still on normal. Okay. Um, so you go into the building that triggers combat, and here's where it's like most like the XCOM game I had thought it might be from the trailers. Uh, so typical turn-based fare, but. Um, in this one, you can't select who goes when. That's all decided by D&D-style initiative. Uh, so each of your goons in the fight will have different abilities. Um, they'll level up as you do more fights, and then you can select uh, new abilities at each tier. Uh, so just to give an example of how that sort of stuff can work, so the the skill that Al Capone had was he can do the classic um, Tommy Gun Spray in any direction which lasts for the entire turn so if any uh, enemies run into his line of fire they get their health gets whittled down which is really useful for you know cleaning them up in the next turn uh, although it it did make me laugh how many of these thugs are just willing to run into open fire the ai is he's just not very bright yeah the the so far at least any the the ai seems a bit brainless um but you know video games use whatever <laughs> advantage you can get um i sort of felt like this, this was the equivalent to overwatch but overwatch is in it as well so <laughs> mm. um but yeah so some of the skills you get uh, i've got the uh, is it maria rodriguez she's one of the stock goons you get early on she i've given her an ability now so if she gets a kill she gets an extra move um she's also got uh, the ability to help people if uh, someone else goes to attack one of the, my squad mates uh, that's all really useful um, but just typically speaking the combat feels really easy um, I did have the weird thing where my game turned up a week early uh, so I played like three days of it solid with uh, without a day one patch that I didn't know was coming and that uh, patch has made the combat a little better hmm. but I find um, like when you trigger these uh, battles in buildings Everyone just scatters, <laughs> and it's and it's not in like logical ways. Like, I get you, you know, you walk into a warehouse, uh, you know, guns blazing, and there's going to be people working in different spots, and they're going to have to react to that. But it's a more so pre-patch, but it's still doing it a little bit post-patch, where everyone just sort of gets clumped together in a corner. Mm. That was really irritating. Well, I thought it was funny how when you go into one of these buildings and attack it you usually start off nowhere near the door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I assume is just because on that loading screen, your character's charged in, guns blazing, and just scared the heck out of everybody, and then, then the fight actually started. But you don't actually see that happening, so it just looks like you go inside the building and then you just teleport to the other side of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. In terms of the combat, though, the one thing that does hold it back is it is is the setting. So it it gives you interesting skills, no doubt. But um, like something like XCOM, because it's got the sci-fi element, they can go really crazy with some of the skills and abilities you can do 
you know, and, and still have it feel like it makes sense in that world. I feel that's a little harder in, you know, what's meant to be more of a grounded sort of era. Um, so I have a bit of doubt about how interesting the combat can stay with that as well, especially when the, the skill tree only seems like five tiers deep. Yeah, like I've barely played um, and I, I'm almost more than halfway through my guy's tier trees, which feels weird but uh, mm-hmm. I don't think combat is really this game's emphasis I think more the business management stuff and like gangster role playing I think is probably more where the emphasis of this game's design is at not so much in the XCOM style strategy shooting yeah it's definitely not as strong and the AI is really dumb so it's that it's you know XCOM fans won't find it as challenging uh, but yeah I think that the, a lot of the strategy comes in the business management and uh, like how you move your booze around to your rackets and where you sell what and how you try and increase your territory by you know slowly taking people over or building alliances and that that's where that long running strategy comes um i had seen uh, quite a few of the reviews had said that they found it too easy uh, eurogamers in particular made me laugh cuz uh, apparently really early on in the game one of the guys decided you know what i'm just going to go take out another mob boss's hideout so he took everyone he had, had a really challenging fight, but won. And then once he'd done that, the the difficulty just dropped immensely. So he just <laughs> kept, you know, instead of, instead of building up slowly and taking over the territory, he would just go full on war at the at the rival bosses' uh, HQs when they weren't expecting it, and just completely roll them over. Uh, and meanwhile, when you do that, you take over all their businesses, so you get more money coming in. He was just basically unstoppable. Uh, from that point on, which I thought was hilarious. Um, we'll we'll come back to the reviews in a minute because I, I think that's an interesting thing uh, and, and very telling about you know uh, the the game's identity and how it sees itself. I still find uh, character placement can be a bit finicky. That was one thing that was definitely worse pre patch. Um, like the the cursor is very very loose and i had once or twice where i've put people in the wrong place have you had that yeah i've had to be very careful about my cursor movement and make sure that what i'm aiming at is where i actually want them to go luckily there's been a confirm prompt for just about everything that i've tried to do in combat so i haven't made any mistakes Mm -hmm. but i think if i got too comfortable with the system then sloppy mistakes would inevitably start happening um, and, and just another funny thing that happened to me pre-patch was, uh, you know, when you're selecting the, the attack abilities in combat. So it turns the ability that you want to use white and is meant to make it bigger. Uh, but pre-patch, it was turning the ability you wanted to use white, but the one next to it bigger, which was a constant state of confusion. Um, but even post-patch, there's still some, uh, you know, UI elements that aren't perfect. Uh, so we were talking privately behind the scenes about how we couldn't move between neighborhoods, uh, which was really annoying. So I had like gang bosses threatening me from other neighborhoods, and they wanted sit downs, and I couldn't travel to get there. Um, and you meant to be able to take taxis over, and I was going to the taxi, and it wouldn't do anything. And that's because you got to click on the taxi in the other neighborhood to move to quick travel there, which seems a bit of a UI failure. Like you actually confirmed that's how you do it because I just saw it somebody doing that in a review so i don't know i haven't confirmed that yet oh, i haven't i haven't tried it yet i want to get my 10 <laughs> my 10 properties before i even yeah. dare try and take anyone on so. i mean I, I figure i'm just gonna 
do it neighborhood by neighborhood. I'm not even going to visit another neighborhood unless I'm I'm asked to. Like, I'll, I'll visit, uh, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to move my business operation out of the neighborhood until I've completely taken it over. So I'm in no rush. Uh, and that's another thing we should probably talk about. So, you know, it is a management sim. It's got the civilization-style tactics. It's got XCOM-style combat. It also wants to be an RPG uh, with a massive uh, quest log. Absolutely. Uh, where you, <laughs> where you, you can do things for your goons that you hire. Uh, so every single one of them will have their own little missions. So one of the stock ones is Hugh. He's a, he's a veteran. Uh, and he wants to take out one of his old army buddies. Uh, Maria also has someone they want you to to go chat to, um, and all these things can play out in you know a number of ways. You're the boss; you get to call the shots. Um, I did have a thing with uh, Hughes where I we got into combat with the guy, and then just before he died, combat ended, and I thought it was a glitch, so I shot him again, started combat again, uh, killed him, and then Hugh got annoyed at me for doing it because he. He said he wanted to chat to him, and that wasn't clear at all <laughs> during the mission. Mm. Uh, at, at first, I thought it was a glitch, but then I realized, nope, just me, bloodthirsty. <laughs> I alluded to the reviews before. Uh, the The scores are all over the place. This is a really divisive game. Uh, like IGN, usually a pretty, uh, you know, they have a more generous scope than a lot of other sites. Um, so they gave it a four. Uh, Kotaku don't do scores, but they had an article just saying it wasn't very good. Other sites are giving it eights and nines, um, and I can kind of see why because it's it's like four games in one, and it it doesn't excel at any one of those. From you know, um, I'm not as far as I'd like to be in it, but um, like it doesn't feel like they're all they all mesh perfectly either. So I, I can see why it's causing those uh, sort of divisive opinions. That said, like there's a lot here I really enjoy about it. Um, not just the atmosphere or the setting, you know, not just from that nostalgic element, but just from the, you know, every, every single one of its systems is something that I enjoy in other games, and it's kind of nice having them all in the one game, even if they don't mesh perfectly. So I kind of feel it's going to end up one of those really like rough games that I adore. Um, but uh, equally they've said they're going to work on it to improve it so you know it might even very well be a different game in a couple of months uh, how are you landing on it so far? I feel pretty warmly towards it but like I, I barely even started <laughs> and <laughs> we've compared it several times to Civilization and like Civilization is is not a game you just play once like it has no. you start a new campaign and that's your campaign and uh I kind of feel right now that that's how Empire of Sin is going to go too. Like, it's not the kind of game where, you know, you beat it with Al Capone. Like, great, good for you. But there's are many different ways that you could uh, mm-hmm. complete the game playing as Al Capone. Actually, I'm not even sure at this early stage what the end game goals of this really are. But I'm sure wiping out all the other gang bosses is one of the ways the game can. Uh, finish mm-hmm. like, again comparing it to civilization there are multiple ways you can win a game of civilization i'm uh since everything else in this seems to be drawing so much from that kind of 4x idea that i'm sure there's multiple ways you can win in this one just 
I haven't gotten far enough to find out what those wind conditions are. <laughs> uh, it might even just be as simple as just finishing your character's personal story. Um, mm -hmm. And that's more like what I'm interested in is I, I was just drawn to this game because of the setting, like 1920s Prohibition era United States, like, you know, running the booze black market, you know, kind of the whole being on the opposite side of the untouchables there. I, I thought that was a mm -hmm. cool idea for a game. And I was interested in it, whether it was going to be a strategy game, whether it was going to be a management game, whether it was going to be an RPG. It turns out it's all of those things at once. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I need to spend a lot more time with it. It's probably not going to happen until next year. But I, I, I have hope that this is going to be a good game once I sit down and really dig into it and like on the default setting of the game uh, you can choose the number of neighborhoods the default is 10 and I'm still in one <laughs> I'm still in neighborhood mm -hmm. one so like I'm less than one tenth of the way through the, the total size of my game world and if I went back and started a new game I think you can have up to like 25 neighborhoods so you can get an absolutely huge game world that you have to conquer so I barely scratched this <laughs> yeah, the the one thing I want to say is uh, playing pre-patch and post-patch kind of ruined my progression a little bit because um, the you know the, the tutorial's okay, but it's not really good at telling you when to do certain things. Mm. It teaches you how to do them, but but not when. Um, so you know, I'm like, okay, cool. I should fortify all the businesses as I'm getting them, so I'm giving them more you know protection and you know, raising the quality of the produce and all this sort of stuff, and it's left me with no money, which means I couldn't complete one of the the core story quests, which was to get 10 rackets. Um, so I've had a situation today where I was just literally stood outside a warehouse with deep longing in my eyes, waiting for enough money to pop up, <laughs> so I could then go take it and then repurpose it as a brewery. Um, I feel like it could do a better job of, of walking you through that. Oh. Um, I so it, it definitely gave me, a, you know, a bit of a hump to get over. Uh, but I also think part of that was the playing it before the patch came out as well, because it, it dumped me into the t tutorial again, even though I had a, a big start, um, and it even uh, messed up some of my character progression. Yeah. yeah. So there's that element. I, I, I've had a, a hit and miss time with it, uh, and part of that was because I got it early. Now, oh, well, oh. one other thing. Uh, Hold on. Don't leave your... Don't leave your people stood in brothels while you look stuff up on your phone. Because <laughs> yeah, they get because <laughs> my entire party got STDs. Um, and they get VD, yeah, <laughs> and it's not clear on how to heal. Uh, so no, that, I, that stays. No, no, no. You can get rid of it. <laughs> it's with, the nineteen twenties. They have penicillin now. <laughs> yeah. No, no. You don't use penicillin. You just put a bandage. Oh, on. oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, but and that also speaks to some of the the UI clunkiness that we alluded to earlier. Like uh, to to heal, you have to trigger the combat mechanic, even though you're not going to start a fight. You can do that any time. You trigger that, and then you get one of your members to heal the other person, and that takes care of it. But you know, th there's no excuse for not being able to do that in a menu. If you have the items and you're not in combat, like why can't I just do that from the you know the the crew screen? The, there's no need for that to be an in-combat thing. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, I cut you off there, Andrew. You had another point. Well, going back to what you said about 
it wasn't clear when you were supposed to be spending money on things. Like one thing mm-hmm. that I've always run into again talking about civilization here is, uh, you know, sort of just short of just starting a new game and playing better based on what I learned from my mistakes in the last game. I, I wasn't always clear what I should be doing next in civilization. Uh, but in this game, it gives you that quest log, and it starts you off real small, like, you know, capture five properties, and then you have another quest beside that one that says get your weekly income to this point. And I immediately saw that as, like, a guide of what I should be focusing on right now, and not mm-hmm. once has that quest progression system encouraged me to upgrade any of my properties, even though if you do play with the tutorial on one of the first things it teaches you is how to invest into that. I didn't see the mission log telling me to do it, so I just didn't do it. So I have not run into that uh, income problem that you had. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that, I, I, that's how I read that quest log. You know, outside of the character quests, there's one that is very specifically laid out to progress you through your business. And I uh, immediately saw that as like a tutorial outside the tutorial. This is what you should be focusing mm-hmm. on right now. And I think once that tells you to start upgrading things, that's when you need to start spending money on upgrades. Yeah, uh, it's just, yeah, it's one of the things that is just, it's less than perfect. They could teach you better, is what I was getting at. But, uh, yeah, so that's uh, fairly early impressions on, on Empire of Sin. Um, it got to the point where I was actually tempted just to restart it without a tutorial to see if that would serve me better. Um, but yeah. Okay. Empire of Sin. Uh, we'll update you when we have more to say on it, I guess. And that's probably going to be into to next year for both of us. Uh, given the developers' comments, I'm also in half a mind to kind of drop it and see what the next update looks like. Um, but yeah, I, I'm st- I am enjoying it as is now, especially now that I've sort of got myself back on an even keel and and are now progressing through some of those story missions. Okay, so the final game. We're going to talk about Immortals, Breath of the Wild, sorry, Immortals, Phoenix Rising. Uh, I saw some videos of this during the week comparing it to Breath of the Wild, and they were uh, hilarious because just of how similar they are from the <laughs> movement, the abilities, uh, and all that. But I also, you know, also recognized that, that sort of stuff can be easy to frame in a certain way. So I'm really looking forward to you either dispelling or confirming. <laughs> that opinion that it is just Breath of the Wild with uh, loose uh, Norse mythology against it. Well, Greek Greek Go. mythology, Norse mythology is Greek mythology, several sorry. hundred miles yeah. north, but... Um... <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> Wrong region. <laughs> Wrong game. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is certainly an Ubisoft sandbox game that's inspired by Breath of the Wild. It certainly looks and plays like breath of the wild but the way the map is designed it's much more an ubisoft sandbox game than it is a breath of the wild style sandbox game like the it's kind of amazing actually four years on from breath of the wild's release now breath of the wild is still its own game there's there's been nothing that's outright copied it yet which you know, a game like that takes a really long time to make, so that's maybe not that surprising, but if we're going to start seeing those out-and-out clones of Breath of the Wild, they should be arriving any time now, <laughs> and we still haven't seen them yet, because <laughs> right up front, that is not what this game is, even though 
I think you could still arguably say this is the most like Breath of the Wild of any game that's not Breath of the Wild, uh, if that makes any <laughs> sense, because I'm completely off my notes here. Uh, but anyway, uh, the easiest way to understand this game is it's Breath of the Wild meets Assassin's Creed Odyssey. It, it is literally made by the same people who made Assassin's Creed Odyssey. <laughs> it has a lot of the same elements. It has a lot of the same controls uh, <laughs> and a lot of the same UI elements. Like it, It's literally if the people who were making Assassin's Creed Odyssey played Breath of the Wild and said, this is awesome. We need to make a game like this. And then they were allowed to in addition to making the latest Assassin's Creed monstrosity. So... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 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 I say that with warmth. I, I enjoy the Assassin's Creed games. <laughs> but the plot of this game is Typhon, who is a Titan or someone who is adjacent with the Titans, who were the gods who were around before the Greek gods, uh, has broken out of his jail in Tartarus and has turned most of the gods into stone, turned all the mortals into stone, and he's taken four very specific gods... Um, actually haven't met them so i don't want to say for sure who they are yet i'm not that far into the game yet and he he's transformed them into other things and the object of the game is to rescue these four gods and defeat typhon and save everybody who's been turned into stone and the person you play as is a character named phoenix we've all spent the past several months since the game's name was changed from Gods and Monsters to Immortals Phoenix Rising, uh, mocking this name because it's it's just absolutely ridiculous. It's Phoenix, F-E-N-Y-X, and uh, I've... <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> I, I've uh, made my peace with the name change by just calling it Immortals, which I think is a fine name. It's not as good as Gods and Monsters, mm-hmm. but I, I just ignore the phoenix rising part of the name and just call it immortals that's fine (laughs) Uh, phoenix is the younger sibling of a very accomplished soldier but uh she's not taken very seriously uh i should add you can make phoenix male or female but all of the marketing uses female phoenix so i'm just assuming that she's canonically female uh she kind of tags along in all their missions and then Typhon attacks, and her entire unit gets turned into stone, and she washes ashore on the Golden Isle, which is the home of the gods. It's where Mount Olympus is at, and where all of their little subsidiary lands and all the lands of, that are based around their personalities are at. It's it's a pretty standard sandbox environment for this kind of supernatural game. Uh, but what really makes this game interesting is how the story is actually told because it's actually a story being told by Prometheus who was a Greek god who stole fire and gave it to man which is why they were able to rise as high as they were and Zeus was very unhappy about this so Zeus tied Prometheus down to a mountain and had this giant eagle the uh, the eagle's name is Ethon and comes and eats Prometheus's liver once a day and then it grows back and it happens again the next day Prometheus's life sucks basically <laughs> uh, <laughs> but Zeus has come to Prometheus uh, actually I'm not clear why he went to Prometheus yet that, that might come up later in the story <laughs> uh, but Prometheus is telling the story about Phoenix and 
their narration carries on throughout the whole game. And it's, it's pretty amusing some of the things they talk about because they'll make fun of the circumstances of the game. They'll lampshade, you know, certain conventions of, of the genre. It just gives the game a really fun sense of humor in spite of, you know, how, how serious the stakes are. This is a, a really fun game. Like, uh, one of the first things that happens is Phoenix finds this hole in the ground that you have to jump into, and there's a lot of these holes because it's an Ubisoft sandbox game. And <laughs> she jumps in the hole, and Zeus is like, well, she's dead now, and then the credits start rolling. And <laughs> there's, like, all these jobs are just made up, and the person who does every job is, is Zeus, and that runs for several seconds while they banter. It, it amused me. And, like, uh... The animations add a lot to the comedy, too. Like, you know, in Breath of the Wild, you can open a chest when Link is barefoot, and he'll kick it, and he'll flinch because, you know, he's not wearing anything on his feet, so he's he's kicking a chest open with his bare foot. That's going to hurt. There's a lot of things like that. Like, Phoenix will open a chest, and she'll, like, drum on the top of the chest before she opens it, which is kind of fun. And there's a chair in the main quest hub that you can sit in where you can change if Phoenix's appearance and, like, She'll be dazed sometimes after the chair spins around. And then most recently when I used it, she fell out of the chair outright after I was changing her hair. Because <laughs> why not? Uh, and there's another, when you upgrade her stamina, it does a whole Rocky workout montage, which is pretty amusing. It's just a, it's just a fun game. They had fun with it. And as you're exploring the sandbox, it's... I was going to avoid just comparing it to Breath of the Wild every step along the way, but I guess it's just kind of unavoidable. <laughs> uh, Phoenix has this this toolkit. She unlocks most of it pretty quick, and that's what you use through most of the game. She gets the Sword of Achilles, which is her fast attack, and she gets the Axe of Atalanta, which is her heavy attack. And when she uses the heavy attack, she also builds up enemies' stun meters. If she fills that stun meter up all the way, then they are dazed for a few seconds, which lets you just get as many hits as you can in with the Sword of Achilles. It's a it's a basic, but it's a pretty interesting attacking system that's kept me engaged with the game. And the Bracers of Heracles, which it gives you Magnesis. That's what it does. Let's not... Let's not... Ra- <laughs> uh, Mince words about this. It, it gives Phoenix the Magnesis skill from Breath of the Wild. And uh, she also gets the Wings of Icaros, which let her fly. And she, again, going back to the comedy, she's like, didn't Icarus die using these wings? And Hermes is just <laughs> like, just don't fly too close to the sun. You'll be fine. <laughs> and you also get the Bow of Odysseus, which uh, I actually I like because one thing I ran into a lot in Breath of the Wild was... Uh, running out of arrows and like I'm, I'm constantly telling my friends who start Breath of the Wild how to make sure they don't run out of arrows in Immortals arrows are just on cooldown you, like, you get one arrow every few seconds and you just wait for them to come back which I like and you also get a special skill called Apollo's arrows where you can actually guide the arrow in a quasi first person view and there are many many puzzles you solve doing this and i really enjoy that as well now this is an ubisoft sandbox game so yeah there are ubisoft towers and i i've given ubisoft a lot of grief over the ubisoft tower design but they've actually in recent years gone a long way towards not making towers the center of their game design anymore they're still there 
and they're here in Immortals, but all they do is reveal the map. If you want to see where anything is, you actually have to go there and look at it. And you have this ability called Farsight, where you go into first-person view and you can like look around the world. And the cursor will get brighter and brighter if you're getting closer towards looking at a place where there's actually a puzzle or there's an event there for you to do. Uh, if that sounds familiar, it's because it's taken directly from the new Assassin's Creed games. Um, <laughs> and sometimes if you're just running through the world, you can also see like little flickers of light in the distance. That means there's something there too. If you just focus on it with your farsight, then you can fill that area in on the map. It'll put the little GPS token there that lets you know that there's something there so that way you remember to go back later. Uh, basically the difference between Immortals and Breath of the Wild is exploration versus discovery. Immortals is exploration. When you walk by something, it will show it to you. So you, you just have to do the footwork across the map. Whereas Breath of the Wild, it's discovery. You actually have to find things. It's not enough just to walk by it. You actually have to walk by it and notice that something is there. <laughs> so, uh, like in Breath of the Wild, there are Koroks everywhere, but one thing I love about Breath of the Wild is I played that game for like five hours before I found out the Koroks existed. And then when I started a new game a few months later, I found out that I walked by several dozen Koroks, never even realizing they were there. If I was playing Immortals, when I walked by one of those Koroks, it would just immediately go, there's a Korok here, there's a Korok here, there's a Korok here, go do the puzzle, so that way it makes <laughs> the Korok appear. That's the difference between these two games, and you know, I think how you feel about one or the other is going to be completely down to preference, because I know some people who don't like Breath of the Wild, but I'll get to that later. Um, a lot of the things it's revealing on the map are just general puzzles. There will be something there. It might be a puzzle. It might be a token for a character upgrade or some, or it might be a chest that has new equipment in it. And you just got to find all the switches in the immediate area to open the door. You might have to light all the torches in the area to open the door. You might have to weigh down all the panels in the area to open the door. There are a lot of sealed doors in this game. <laughs> And some of the other things, they're like myth challenges. There's Hermes obstacle courses where you, you start in one location and you have to race through basically a, a designed obstacle course uh, using by climbing and gliding. And when you get to the other end, you get a reward that's stolen directly from many of the Korok challenges in Breath of the Wild. Uh, and there's uh, Odysseus's target challenges and in the Odyssey when Odysseus finally made a home, how he proved it was him was he, he fired an arrow through like a dozen axe heads that were lined up in a row. You've got to do that in several different places throughout this map. And these are really cool puzzles too, because you, you have to use that first person guided arrow to fly through these arrow obstacle courses. Some of them are pretty creative. I've really enjoyed doing those. And there are just other pickups you can get. Like I mentioned, there's equipments, there's power-ups. The equipment isn't better or worse. It's it's mostly just changing the perks you get. So like the sword you have at the start of the game will carry you through to the end of the game if you wanted to. Uh, it, it's just down to whether you like a, a sword that increases damage if your health is full versus one that restores more of your stamina with every swing. And also you, you can change the cosmetics. If you have a sword that you like its perk, but you have another sword that you like its appearance better, you can switch to that sword's appearance and keep the perk of the original. It's a pretty flexible system. 
And then there's all these power-ups you can get. There's, like, lightning and ambrosia and all these other tokens. And you, you just take them back to the Hall of the Gods, which is, like, your hub in the center of the map. And you can upgrade your character's health. You can upgrade his stamina. You can buy new skills. It, it, it's all just a matter of going to all these places on the map and doing all the things. That way you can afford to get these upgrades. It, I think that's an interesting contrast to Breath of the Wild because, like, that game, it had Korok seeds and it had orbs. That was it. And this game just has dozens and dozens and dozens and, well, not that many, but it it has (laughs) many different things to collect that all upgrade your character in some way. It's just this Ubisoft philosophy of quantity versus, you know, I shouldn't say quality because Ubisoft makes very high quality games but there's just so much stuff in them to keep track of whereas breath of the wild was just like these do this thing these do this other thing that's it go play the game (laughs) (laughs) and there's all kinds of encounters over the world there's the legendary bosses that are drawn from greek myth like medusa is out there somewhere i saw her in the trailers just a few hours ago i beat a pig that killed somebody in history i'm I'm tired. <laughs> Excuse me. And uh, I haven't gotten to this part of the game, too, but I read about this in in just the pre-release stuff, is the Corrupted Heroes. Again, this is drawing from Assassin's Creed, which has the mercenaries who will hunt you down and try to kill you. This game has something very similar, where heroes from Greek myth have been corrupted by Typhon, and they will start appearing and try to kill you. Uh, at random in the game world, which uh, is either going to be really cool or really annoying. Uh, The mercenaries in Assassin's Creed Odyssey got kind of annoying after a while, so we'll see how I feel about that when I get there. Now, this is, I think, where we really need to have the discussion here is there's some people out there who I give a lot of stink eye to because because they're wrong, Uh, but they don't like parts of Breath of the Wild, and, you know, I'm being obnoxious <laughs> i understand not liking some parts of it and i think immortals would be a uh, an interesting substitute for them or, or a more palatable substitute for them like weapon degradation i think if anybody hates anything in breath of the wild they complain about the weapon degradation there's no weapon degradation in immortals you, you just get your weapons and you use them through the entire game that's that uh breath of the wild is empty i, I see this every now and then and it, it's just absurd to me because Breath of the Wild is not empty but Immortals is anything but Mm -hmm. empty and it shows you where everything is when you walk by it so (laughs) if you felt Breath of the Wild was empty because you were too lazy to look to see where things were at Immortals will uh, satisfy you and all for the silly idiots who refuse to play Nintendo games because they're for kids hey here's a Breath of the Wild clone for you on PlayStation 5 have fun (laughs) as for how the game performs on the Switch it doesn't make a great first impression because when you when you land in the prologue area it's doing this thing for like mood and effect where there's not a lot of color it's a really desaturated kind of like a mid-2000s realist brown game and it really limits the draw distance because it's trying to hide the island from you until you've followed the prologue quest to the end of it and then then it strips away all this fog so you can see the island it's supposed to be like this wow moment but it takes several hours to get there where like as you know in breath of the wild you walk out of the shrine in the first two minutes of the game and it immediately reveals it to you and it's like wow breath of the wild did that way better uh but Mm -hmm. 
if you look at my first hour video on our YouTube channel, that's not what the game actually looks like. It actually is a much better looking game than that first couple hours presents itself, which is disappointing and is a problem for, uh, for people who are just taking a quick look at the game. You, you need to stick with it to see what this game really looks at. Um, obviously, it's not as impressive visually as it would be on other platforms. I still think it looks fine. Like, uh, the draw distance is good. I can see far away, and I can see other things that are important that I can be going towards, but it, it does have a, lot, a bit of fog in there, and the colors aren't as vibrant, and you can see how low resolution some of the distant objects are, whereas like Breath of the Wild, if you go down to the peak of Mount Lanairu and you look northwest, you can see all the way to the northwest side of the world, and that's why that game is great. Uh, you're not going to have that kind of effect in this, which is unfortunate, but it's a multi-platform game, and this is this is how you're going to play it portably if you want to play it portably. I have seen a number of reviews complaining about chugging, uh, especially on some of the more tech-minded sites like uh, Digital Foundry. I've played this game for 12 hours. I haven't seen a single thing chugging, and I've been perfectly satisfied with the frame rate. So that's my personal feelings. I think people out there who listen to us regularly, they know what my standards for this kind of things are by now. I'm happy with it. It's fine. And uh, Andy wanted me to make note of this. <laughs> Something I ran into <laughs> earlier today. Uh, I went into the uh, control option menus uh, where you can rebind the buttons to any button you want, which is really nice. Um, I just looked at it, and then I left without changing anything. And the game told me, these assigned controls may harm your experience. And I was like, these are the default <laughs> controls. What are you talking about? <laughs> so I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> but uh, the game's controlled fine for me as far as its default controls go. So <laughs> that was just amusing. And uh, this game has a lot of DLC coming. It's got three packs. It's got a new god, which are, I think are just new vaults. I completely skipped over that in my notes. But uh, there's these things called the Vaults of Tartarus. They are shrines from Breath of the Wild. It's what they are. Uh, you go inside of them. <laughs> most of them don't even have monsters to kill. You just solve physics puzzles. They're shrines. You get to the end of them. You get a token that you can trade in for more stamina. It's a shrine. That's what it is. Uh, <laughs> another DLC pack is Myths of the Eastern Realm, which, from what they're describing, it's a, a new Chinese mythology-inspired continent to explore with a new player character and new gods. It sounds like it's a new game. It could be a sequel if they wanted it to. So... That sounds interesting. And then the Lost Gods, which is another new island, another new character to play as, but apparently it's played from more of an isometric 3D perspective. I'm not really sure how that is going to work, but I would be interested in the DLC just for the Mist of the Eastern Realm thing, which sounds like it's going to be a completely new game, basically. Uh, and if I'm as satisfied with the base game in a couple weeks as I am with it now, then I'm definitely going to be getting those DLC packs because this is a very satisfying alternative to Breath of the Wild. It, it, it's certainly following inspiration from Breath of the Wild, not necessarily following the formula because the way the map is explored and fills in is completely different. I cannot emphasize that enough. Uh, but I'm still happy with it. I'm still enjoying it. It's totally scratching 
that kind of itch for an open world sandbox game that is you know not not a uh, a Bethesda style or an Assassin's Creed style it's it's closer to what Breath of the Wild was trying to do and uh, I'm totally on board for more I'm very excited to keep playing this game nice uh, sounds certainly sounds better than uh, I'd expected and I'm definitely more interested in it now but again I haven't completely done with Breath of the Wild because I've still got the DLC so I think I'll just return to that yeah so that's it for the episode Thanks for listening to this episode of Enfocus. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. You can also listen on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState, which is a PlayStation show, Power of X, which is an Xbox show. We're all part of the Game Podular community. Uh, make sure to join our Discord server to interact with that community. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links for all that are in the show notes. If you want to support the show, you can do so. You can buy us a coffee, or you can become a Game Podular Patreon. Details for both of these things are on our website. Thanks in advance. This episode was edited by me, Andy Corrigan. You can follow me on Twitter at FlameRoastToast. Uh, and at Twitter, you can also follow the other two. Uh, you can follow Andrew at PlayCritically, and Tori at Stew2. That's S-T-W-T-W-O. What are you going to do with your second code? Uh, I've got a friend that wants it, so... Oh. Christmas uh, present what's for that him. like? What? Friend? <laughs> what's that like? Having a friend? Yeah. <laughs> oh. It's just someone that you dump unwanted codes on. That's, oh, nice. that's what I thought they were. <laughs>